again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How far do you have to run to get away from God? We don't know the backstory for Philemon and his runaway slave Onesimus. We do know that it was time for both men to live out God's grace, with one ending his run and the other forgiving his sin. Are you ready to stop running? Ryan Johnson, church planter and lead pastor at New City Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, brings us this message entitled Grace Turned Rebels, which covers Philemon, verses 4 through 16. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, church. It's so good to be here with you, even though it's a bit unexpected for me to be preaching this morning. I'm so excited. I can't speak highly enough about what Perimeter Church has done for my family and I to be equipped, mature and equipped, and ready to plant this church. We're so excited about what God has been doing over the last three years and what He is going to do. Today we're going to be looking at uh, a little book in the Bible uh, called Philemon. It's right in between the book of Titus and Hebrews, and we're going to be checking that out today. Some of you may not have ever heard of this book before, and I am pleased to bring this little jewel to you today uh, because it brings such good news to us. You know, about a year ago, uh, my family and I uh, uh, were just hanging out in our kitchen, and for some odd reason, there was an entire package of Oreos in my house. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever there's something like that in my house, uh, I, you can kind of feel it. You can feel the aura of the Oreos in the pantry, right? You, can, you know that they're there. And, uh, and so for me, with Oreos, it kind of works like this, and maybe it's the same for you. Uh, either I, I, I resist and I don't eat any of them, or I eat the entire package, right? There is no in-between with the Oreo. So my wife and I decided to do something uh, wise and discerning. We said, hey, we're going to abstain from the eating of Oreos. But here's what we are going to do. We're going to treat our kids with a couple of Oreos each uh, because they ate all of their dinner. And so we get a couple Oreos out for each of our older children, uh, Tatum, who's now five, and Caden, who is three, and we give them a couple of Oreos each. And it's so funny uh, how you see them respond to this treat that they get, right? Uh, so my, my son, Caden, who's three, uh, immediately devours his ration of Oreos, right? I mean, he doesn't care. He's like, ah, like the cookie monster. He's tearing them up. Where my uh, five-year-old daughter, Tatum, she prefers to savor the taste, to really enjoy, to take it apart, to enjoy its intricacies and all the, the carbohydrates rushing into her bloodstream. She enjoys to savor them. So my, my son finishes the Oreo. My daughter Tatum uh, is still working on hers. We turn our back on the two and begin to do something else. And all of a sudden we hear this alarming wail. We turn around, all of the Oreos are gone. The assumption is that something has happened that has not been the way that we anticipated it would go. And here, so, so I've been down and I, uh, you, you see where this is going. I've been down to Caden, my three-year-old, and I say, Caden? Uh, is everything okay, buddy? And he goes, mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I began to talk. I said, Kaden, did you happen to take an Oreo that did not belong to you? And he said, mm-mm. And I said, are you sure? And he grins with this really big grin. And the evidence is in the grin. There are Oreos stuffed all over his teeth, and he's still trying to swallow the Oreos. Now, this, this story is kind of light and humorous, 
But what it exemplifies is something that you and I all know to be true in our flesh. And that is this reality that we're all rebels. We're all rebels at heart. We're all guilty at heart. We have stolen what is not ours, namely God's glory, and attempted to destroy the evidence. And we remain in need of grace if we want to experience the life God has intended for us on this earth. So as I said, we're going to be looking at this book of Philemon today. And, and just to set it up a little bit, uh, this is different than Paul's other writings. The book of Philemon is, is a personal letter, and there's a couple more personal letters that Paul writes to, to Timothy and to Titus, but this one deals with a very specific issue between these three men that, that we're going to talk about. Um, and, and it really shows us all that beautiful theology that we see that Paul has in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians and Galatians, and, and all of these other letters. We see that working itself out in a real, everyday, ordinary relationship. So it's not like Paul is way over our head like he is in Ephesians 1. It's right here in everyday life in the book of Philemon. So in this letter of Philemon, there's three players that you really need to know about. Uh, and so we're going to quickly discover these three players. Uh, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this guy named Philemon about this guy named Onesimus. Okay, uh, Onesimus, I, I, I teased with my wife, I said, you know what? We're having our fourth child. I said, I think we're going to name our fourth child Onesimus. What do you think, babe? She just, she lost it. It was, it's pretty funny. But the Apostle Paul, in his first appearance in the Bible, uh, where we see him is in Acts chapter 8 and 9. And do you know what the Apostle Paul is doing? He's not yet the Apostle. He is standing uh, at the city gates holding the coats of those that are stoning Stephen. So, in other words, he's approving of what's happening and he's holding their coats so they can get a more full range of motion on the arm so that they can, they can kill Stephen. And, and in this, we see, uh, we see that he's guilty, that he's a murderer. We also see in, in Acts chapter 8 and 9 where, where it says that, 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 that he didn't stop there, that he began ravaging the church, pulling people out of their homes and putting them in prison if they were Christians. So I have a question for you. You tell me, is Paul a rebel sinner or not? He's a rebel sinner, right? He's, he's in need of grace. And so we see in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is running away from God. He's running to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And the grace of God meets him right on that road, and it blinds him. And in Philemon 1, we see that, that this murderer is turned into this God-fearing, God-loving man who wants to proclaim the gospel with his life. There's a there's dramatic work of grace in his life. He encounters God's grace. He's a grace-turned rebel. The second player in the story, as I said earlier, is this guy named Philemon. Philemon is a, is a prosperous homeowner. He lives in the city of Colossae. And we know this by, by hearing about him in the book of Colossians. And, uh, and basically, he's this wealthy man. He's a, he's a businessman. He's a homeowner. He has enough room in his house, as we see like later in the book of Philemon, uh, where he can actually ha have guests in his house. And so Paul says, prepare a guest room for me. Uh, we, we see also that he has slaves. So Philemon's fallen condition focus that we see is that he has a distorted view 
of what it means to be made in the image of God. So for Philemon, he sees that that there are different levels, uh, classes of people, instead of everyone being made in the image of God. So you tell me, Philemon, rebel sinner or not? Rebel sinner, right? Philemon evidently is somehow converted to faith in Christ by the by the by the, the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, and we're not real sure how this happened, but but what many commentators believe that happened uh, in in Philemon's conversion is that he was probably in the city of Ephesus on business, which is about a hundred miles away from the city of Colossae. So think from here to Chattanooga, he's on business about that far away, and. Uh, and, and he's there, and he, he probably hears about the gospel in Ephesus, because Paul spent uh, over two years in Ephesus. It, it's even likely that Paul led uh, Philemon to faith in Christ. And now uh, we see that Philemon goes back to this city of Colossae, and he has a church that's meeting in his house. And as a church planner, I just love that. You know, the church is meeting in his house. It's not about this building. The church is in his house. He's honoring God. He's following God. He has encountered grace. Lastly, the last character and the last player in this story that we want to investigate before we dive into the book here is this guy named Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave of Philemon in the city of Colossae that has apparently grown weary of the oppression. He's grown weary of the striving. He's grown weary of the lack of freedom. And so what does Philemon do? He steals from his master and runs some 1,500 miles away to the city of Rome. For him, this would have been like going to the other side of the world. He was hightailing it out of Colossae uh, in hopes of finding freedom. So you tell me, Onesimus, rebel sinner or not? Rebel sinner, right? In Rome, Onesimus somehow links up with Paul. He becomes a believer. Paul's in prison at the time. I have no idea how this happened. Uh, And so this letter that we're reading now is about the reconciliation of this guy named Philemon, who is is the master of Onesimus. So Onesimus and Paul are in Rome. Philemon is in Colossae. Paul realizes that he needs to send Onesimus back to Philemon and things need to be made right. So we see all that beautiful theology about reconciliation, all that beautiful theology about being made right with God and with man. We see all that put into practice here in this letter. You see, Philemon is the story of three men who are all fatally flawed, yet forever redeemed by King Jesus. They've all been graced. They've all been given grace that they didn't deserve. They didn't deserve, they didn't get what they deserved. And so it's, it's, kind, of this, it's kind of this story of brotherhood and how the grace of God works itself out in everyday, ordinary life. So here's the big idea of where we're going today, church. It's, it's this, that disciples of Jesus grow in grace. Disciples of Jesus grow in grace. And what I mean by grow in grace is that, as we've said, that we're all rebels who've taken what we're not supposed to take, been where we've not supposed to be, and lived how we've not, how we're not supposed to live. So we, just like these three players in this story, find ourselves guilty in need of God's grace. I love what the book of Colossians, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse six says. It says this: that the gospel is always bearing fruit and growing. 
It's, it's, like, the, it's like the natural trajectory and cycle of the gospel inside the life of a believer. Is that it always bears fruit and it grows inside of us. There is no, there is no, uh, uh, there, there's not a category for a stagnant gospel in the life of a believer. Sometimes it is bearing fruit and growing in ways that we would imagine uh, where we experience these seasons of revival in our relationship with God. And other times it's through tremendous pain that God chooses to conform us into the image of Jesus. So God has brought all three of these men into this unfolding drama into a place where he wants to grow them in grace. So grow them in their ability both to give grace, but also to receive grace. So let's look at Philemon, uh, verses 4 through 7. First point is this, the premise of grace, and then later we'll get to the proposition of grace. Uh, Verse 4 says this, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So remember, this is Paul writing to Philemon about Onesimus. So what he's, what he's starting out in verse 4 saying is that uh, he's thanking God for the work of God's grace in Philemon's life. Evidently, it is very obvious that God has done a work of grace. You know, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing ordinary about a life being raised from the dead. So every time someone becomes a believer of Jesus, it is an absolute miracle. And Paul is acknowledging that here. Philemon has not gotten what he deserved. In fact, he is a new creation. God has done a tremendous work in his life. And you, church, if God has done that same work in you, you are a new creation. God has done a tremendous work in you, and there's nothing ordinary about you being a follower of Jesus. It's a miracle. You are a display. Uh, You are the evidence of God's grace in living flesh. In verse 5, we see uh, that there's a, a recognition of how God's grace flows through the life of a believer. Uh, we see that Paul, that Paul says he's heard about his love for all the, the holy people, is what the NIV says. It's actually translated the saints. So he's, he's heard about his love for the saints, about how God's grace has worked itself out of Philemon and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you know that, that the, the kind of the trajectory of God's grace in the life of a believer is, is, is both up and it's also out? Uh, this is, I think this is why Jesus... Uh, says that we could summarize the law into two commands. We could say, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this is why James talk about, talks about uh, faith and works and how they go hand in hand. Because that's the way the gospel works in us. Is, is there is a, there's a response in worship to God. But then there's also a love for our brothers and sisters. That's, that's the way that God's grace works in our lives. And he's reminding him of that here. He says, I pray, Philemon, uh, uh, for your partnership in the faith here. So that word for partnership is this Greek word called koinonia. Some of you have heard of that word. That word means fellowship. So he's talking about this shared faith that all Christians share together, that there is an aspect of our growth in grace as Christians 
that occurs as we live as the family of God together. This is why a Christian cannot be separated from the church. It's part of how God is making us new. He's doing it together as the church, as the people of God. So it's God's plan to use fellowship with one another to inform our living out of this grace that he's put inside of us. So essentially what he's saying here is, Philemon, let your position with God, you are right with God now, inform your practice of how you live. Be a man of integrity. He's saying, allow the grace of God to inform your living. You're not the same. You've never gotten what you deserve, and neither have we. And this is real, really where the, the rubber meets the road for Philemon. He's saying, hey, this is not just an ethereal thing here, bro. This isn't just something that, you know, that's a, a theological reality for you. I want this to be like, a, like an in-flesh, in-person reality. I want to see this work out in your life. We could say this another way as well, that, that being bound to Jesus means we're bound to one another. It's, it's interesting uh, how the Scriptures talk about the church. I don't know if, you, if you've done much study about how the, the Scriptures talk about the church and how God's heart for unity in the people of God. And I don't know about you, I'm planning a church now, so I'm kind of figuring this out. Uh, but when you put a bunch of sinners in the room together, it's only by a work of God's miraculous grace that we could be unified, right? That's what God does. So that's what he's instructing Philemon to do here. This is, bro, this is how it works itself out in you. In verse 7, I love what he says. He says, Philemon, your love has refreshed me. And at first I was thinking as I read this, oh, refresh me. That's like a, a drink of cold water on a hot Atlanta summer day. It's refreshing, right? But as I begin to look a little bit more deeply into what that text actually means, it means to give rest. So he says, Philemon, as, as, as you are living as the family of God together with these other believers, you're giving us rest. You're doing a great thing. And our fellowship with one another, church, ought to be such that it gives us rest. You, you see, the world is, is, is all about this, this cycle of progression and doing more. But as we live as the church together, we ought to be refreshed. We have to be given rest, realizing there's nothing we can do for God that already hasn't been done for us in Jesus Christ. So th this premise of grace that we're talking about here means that we're all rebels of God's glory in desperate need of grace, and we live and forgive in light of how God has treated us. Let's move on to the, the, the next eight verses, the last eight verses that we're going to talk about today in Philemon. And this is really about the proposition of grace. We talked about the premise, the foundation of grace. Now let's move to the proposition of how that should inform our living. Verse 8, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you, Philemon. I would have liked to keep him with me, 
so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So Paul says, I could pull the, the trump card here, right? I could pull the uh, apostle of Jesus card, and I could slap it right down in front of you, and it'd be like, boom! But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. So what's that word appeal mean? So even though Paul is positionally above Philemon because he's a, an apostle, he says, I'm going to appeal, I'm going to, I'm going to come alongside you. The word there is parakaleo. I'm going to come along, I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to come alongside you. I'm even going to come under you, Philemon, and I'm going to appeal to you that you would do what is right. And we see that Paul is actually trusting the fact that Philemon is a believer here. He's trusting the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work in this brother's life, and he's going to lead him to repentance. He's going to lead him to do the right thing thing. It's interesting, uh, when you look at the, the meaning of the word Onesimus, in your, in your, in your Bible it might, it might tell you, it might have a little footnote about what the name Onesimus means. And, and, and the word actually means useful. So Paul uses a, a play on words here. He, he says, uh, he says you, you think he's useless, but I think he's useful to me and to God's kingdom, the advancement of God's kingdom. So Onesimus was spiritually useless, not because of his activity, but really because of his lack of faith. But now, oh, 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 how he's changed. When God, when God rescues a sinner, oh, oh, how is there a change? There's a beautiful change in someone coming to faith in Jesus. It's a miracle. In other words, what he's saying, hey, Philemon, I want you to remember that this brother was not a believer and now he is. There's been a change of heart. In fact, the Scriptures would say that he's been given a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, it says, the Scriptures say, you know, he's been given, his heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. So what he's, what he's reminding Philemon about is that gospel behavior flows from gospel belief. Philemon, how can you expect him to act like a Christian before he's ever been saved? Do you remember your life before you met Jesus? How did you behave, Philemon? How was, how was your life? What did you look like before you became a Christian? And isn't this the same for all of us? I, I can't tell you personally how many times I have placed an expectation on someone that is so unrealistic and, and not gospel-centered, but very law-oriented. And the people that I've done this most to are the people that are closest to me, namely my, my father. See, my father is not yet a follower of Jesus. And, and I can remember when I first became a believer, uh, I, 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 I wished that my father would church it up a little bit more. Hey, get, Dad, get your act together. Can you can you at least go to church on a Sunday morning instead of, you know, watching the pregame for football, you know? Can, can you just church it? Can you just look like a Christian? 
And, and I, can, I can remember also saying, hey, Dad, why don't, you, why don't you change the way that you speak around my Christian friends? You're embarrassing me. You don't look like a Christian. You see, what I wanted was I wanted him to manage his sin better. But we never see the Scriptures calling us to manage sin better. In fact, it's impossible for an unbeliever to do that, right? They don't have the Holy Spirit. They haven't been given a new heart. You know what this does is it robs God of His glory when we expect people to live that way. Because the work that God will do in saving a sinner is He completely transforms their life. And then He receives all the glory because we realize that we can't change ourselves and that we can't change anyone else. My dad was not the problem in the equation. It was me. It was my insecurity. I wanted him to have the appearance of a graced life without, without actually being changed by grace. In this moment, you see, I needed to grow in the way that I give grace. I needed to grow in grace. I can remember a couple years ago coming to this reality, reality that my theology did not match my reality. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like I have this great belief in God, but the way that I live it out is kind of, they're kind of like, They don't really line up real well. So my theology said something like this. Hey, Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, they have covered me and I'm completely forgiven and free to walk in grace for the rest of my life in light of the Father's love. But my reality said this. Hey, come on, Ryan. You've been a Christian for 15 years. Do better and prove that you love me. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it done, boy. That's what I'd say to myself. And what that left me in was a position of condemnation. I was not free to walk in the beautiful grace of God and the Father's love compelling me to obey. In that moment, I needed to grow in my ability to receive grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. And kind of as, as an aside, where in the world, church, did we ever get this idea that growing in the grace of God means that we need Jesus less and less? Where did we ever get that from? In fact, our, our, as, as we mature in Christ, what happens is, is our awareness of sin. Paul Miller talks about this a lot, uh, and, and the guys that have put on sonship. They said you know, that, that our awareness of sin actually grows as we become more mature in Christ, and we realize that the grace of God has covered more than we ever even knew about. We ought to realize that we need Jesus actually more as we mature in Christ instead of weaning ourselves off of the gospel. The gospel is not just a launch pad to launch you into good works. but It's the foundation that our very lives ought to be based upon. Against Paul's personal choice, he says, hey, I'm going to send Onesimus back to Philemon because it's the right, it's the obedient thing to you. To do. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm sending back my very heart. This, this brother is dear to me. This guy isn't just anyone. He's not just some Joe Schmo, but he's a dear brother to me. The, the word very heart is this word splankna. And you know what it means? It means, it means bowels. It means like insides. It means, it means deep fellowship. And, and the words that we see in Paul describing his relationship to Onesimus are words like, I fathered him. So we see this beautiful picture of what it means to make disciples. I fathered this brother. He's one of us. Onesimus had been a, a spiritual fugitive on the loose. 
He'd probably gotten sick of the lack of freedom and oppression, and he decided to make a run for it. In his mind, running to the other side of the world would give him a sense of freedom, this sense of anonymity, right? That if I could just get away from these people that are oppressing me, maybe I would feel free, only to find himself 1,500 miles away and just, just as bound to sin. You see, anonymity is only a false hope. There's no freedom in anonymity because you know what it lacks? Love. There's this, there's this student that I mentor at Richards Middle School, the school that our church plant meets in, and, uh, and, and he recently was telling me about how much he despised his mother kind of hovering over him, literally reading his mail and not trusting him because he kind of had a, a checkered past and, and he was trying to do the right thing now, and I begin to tell him uh, what, what his life would look like without a mother like that. You know, bro, if you could just do what you want to do, you would suffer so much hurt, so much pain, and your life would be such a disaster. That is God's blessing in your life, that, that, that mom that loves you and loves you very well to the fact that you feel like she's hovering over you. That's a good thing, bro. Trust me, you don't want the opposite of that. And I'll say this, students, your parents' care for you is a good thing. It is a godly thing. They have been commanded to to raise you up in the gospel. If you feel feel like they're hovering over you, that's a good thing. It's it's so much better than the alternative there. One would have thought that if Onesimus were to become a believer, that he would have become a believer maybe in Philemon's house, right? Right? This doesn't happen, but by God's providence, he runs as far away as he can, only to run smack dad into the grace of God and to be found by Jesus. I love this quote by J.I. Packer. It's in his book, Knowing God. If you've not read that, go pick it up this afternoon. It's a fantastic book. It says this, your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You, I love this right here. Listen, you are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. You're not strong enough to fall away. Onesimus wasn't strong enough. He, he, didn't, he didn't have the speed. He didn't have the intelligence to run far enough away from God for God not to find him. And this is exactly what this proposition of grace is. The, the premise is that you're guilty and you're loved. That's the good news. The proposition is you're found and accepted. Now go live like it. Now go live like a found son, a found daughter. Go live a found life. And maybe that's some of you in here today. You've been running. You've been running uh, from God. You are a spiritual fugitive on the loose. And here you stand this morning face-to-face with the grace of God with a decision to make. Are you going to keep running? Or are you going you're gonna to take the, the running shoes off? And you're going to lay them at the foot of the cross and surrender your life to Jesus. Or maybe this is a child, parents, this is your child. Your child has been running from God. You've raised them up in the gospel and they have, they have, they have hightailed it away from uh, the gospel and, and from fellowship with other believers. I want to remind you of what the Apostle Paul was doing. He was, ru- he was running to Damascus to persecute Christians when the Lord found him and met him there. Onesimus was running to Rome when the Lord found him and met him there. There is no one that is out of the reach of our Heavenly Father. He is sovereign, and he finds those that he chooses to find. And none of which are his are lost. 
We, we see that in, in, in John chapter 6. I want to I close with this story right here. I, I was watching the news a few weeks ago, and there was a story of these two teenagers. Uh, one was an 18-year-old boy. The other was a 13-year-old girl. These two uh, had hit it off romantically and decided that they wanted to get married. Now, you can understand why the parents didn't approve of this, right? It's kind of a ridiculous thing to think about an 18-year-old and a 13-year-old getting married. So they, they, they were engaged, and when their parents didn't approve of this wedding, they decided to make a run for it. They decided to steal a car and to begin to make their way as far away from Kentucky as they possibly could, an 18-year-old and a 13-year-old. So they, 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 they make it down to Tennessee and steal a car, then head over to North Carolina, ditch that car, steal another one in Georgia, all the way down to Panama City Beach, Florida. It's two weeks later, they find themselves exhausted and tired of running. And so they, they're, they're, in the, they're in the back of a, it's an IHOP or a Waffle House parking lot, and they say, they're just, they're just sitting there exhausted, waiting, honestly, waiting to be found. They're tired of running. And so when they, when they were found by the police, someone noticed them, called them in. When they're found by the police, they said, we're ready to come home. We're so tired of running. Ready to come home. Big idea of what we're talking about today is disciples of Jesus growing grace. So for you today, growing in grace could mean that you're receiving God's grace for the first time in your life. That you've been running and God has met you this morning and you want to turn from that life and you want to turn unto Jesus and, and surrender your life to Him. That could, be, that could be a decision that you could make today. Uh, maybe maybe you, you're deciding, man, I'm going to allow God's grace to, to overcome my, my self-righteous comparisonism. This is what God's doing in me right now. Realizing that we're all the same and God is sanctifying us all in different ways. Maybe, maybe you want to make that decision to, to, to confess that sin and to follow Jesus. Or maybe there's someone that you need to forgive that's deeply hurt you. And you've been withholding that forgiveness like Philemon is tempted to do to Onesimus. Or maybe you need to ask forgiveness of someone that you've deeply hurt to be reconciled, to be unified in Christ. Whatever the case may be, I want to invite you, church, to embrace the grace of God in a fresh way this morning and to grow in that grace that we have through Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, You are so good to us. Uh, you, you, you find us. You pursue us. You love us. You chase us down. Like I'm, I'm just reminded of the, the story of the, the prodigal son who's run away only to find that the father is, is at the end of the road running to meet him. Father, may that picture of you inform our thoughts about you today. The fact that you love us so deeply. You love us beyond uh, what we can comprehend. Lord, I pray that, that my brothers and sisters in this room might surrender more fully to your grace this morning. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. 
Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.